Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We're here today with Professor Barbara Stolberg-Rillinger, who is the rector of the Berlin Institute for Advanced Study, an acclaimed historian of European history, author of many outstanding works, including the award-winning Maria Theresa, the Empress in Her Time. And today we're going to try to talk a little bit about uh, Maria Theresa. The first, Professor, I thought it'd be good for our audience to hear a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got interested in history in general, and Maria Theresa specifically. Yeah, hi everyone. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be uh, in this in this podcast. What is it? A podcast? Or podcast is good. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I am a historian of the early modern period, early modern European history, and especially uh, the period of Enlightenment, uh, Baroque and Enlightenment. And uh, what I'm especially interested in is um, the political culture and the constitutional culture of uh, early modern Europe and early modern European um, uh, principalities, monarchies, and so on, especially the so-called Holy Roman Empire of the German nation, consisted of many, many uh, different parts, very heterogeneous, very strange political body. And um, what attracted my, uh, or what directed my attention to this specific subject, Maria Theresia, was um, that I am fascinated by the, the ambivalence of this period, 18th century, which was on one hand, uh, still a very pre-modern, very even medieval um, period of Baroque, uh, Baroque culture, court culture, dynasties, hierarchical structure of the society, and so on. And on the other hand, it was also the period of enlightenment and of the uh, scientific revolution, and so on. And uh, Maria Theresia, reign was uh, covered uh, 40 years of the 18th century from 1740 to uh, 1780 and so she uh, shares in a way the ambivalence of this period she's also herself a very ambivalent figure and um, this is what made her so interesting in my eyes and uh, writing a biography was something completely new for me. I never wrote biography before. Um, and I was also, I had been very skeptical about this genre before because it is in a way old fashioned. It was completely out of fashion in um, the 80s, 70s and 80s. But I wanted to take this genre of biography and this specific figure as a key to the ambivalences and tensions of the time. And it turned out that Maria Theresia uh, is, a, is a very good case to, to do that. What, 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 in my reading of Maria Theresa, you pronounce it much better than I do um, when, you, when you say her name. How do you, say, how do you pronounce her name? Maria Theresia. Uh, very good. Much better than I, than, than I could ever do it. Uh, so, so uh, in, in my reading, and I understand that, that, that your biography um, is scheduled to be translated, is that correct, into English? 
Yes, it will. Uh, I mean, I'm just uh, proofreading, and so I think it will uh, appear in in spring next year. In some of my reading, I was I was kind of fascinated by 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 how the writers seem to be able to to touch the the personality and emotions of Maria Teresa, uh, and I'm just wondering what the sources for what what were the sources that you used the primary sources that you used in your biography, uh, for example, you constantly consistently read about how how she she loved her husband, but yet understood his weaknesses. Very, very emotional, the, the emotional relationship she had with her son, vehemently opposed his, his policies, but yet loved him dearly. Uh, is, is this coming from her writings? Is that the primary source? The primary sources are, of course, hundreds and hundreds of letters she wrote uh, by hand, um, not to her husband, but to her children. Um, which are, of course, very valuable sources. But uh, it's despite of these very, uh, very uh, illuminating sources, I am a little bit reluctant to write uh, what you might call psychological history. I'm convinced that you cannot look into uh, the heads of the historical uh, persons. Uh, you cannot, cannot look into anyone's head. So we can only describe what they communicate about their emotions. So you cannot, uh, you cannot grasp the emotions themselves. You can only um, describe how they communicate about their emotions. And I think this is a very different thing. Um, so I try to let the sources themselves speak. Yeah? I, I used a lot of um, literal quotes and uh, I tried to describe her also through the eyes of her contemporaries and through the eyes of, uh, let's say, diaries of, of, and, and letters and uh, also decrees and everything. So I tried to, to have a kind of collage of very, very different perspectives to, um, yeah, to, to make clear that you never get, as a historian, you never get the one true perspective, you only get many different perspectives and that makes it so very interesting. It makes it, makes it also, of course, difficult, but, but um, to my opinion, this is what, what makes history uh, so, so appealing that, uh, yeah, and you can learn that there is no such thing as the ultimate truth, but you have to try to... Um, to, to, to get aware of the different views of different uh, personalities. What, what made Maria Theresa such a compelling historical figure? Again, from my reading, she came to the throne. Um, her father left her with a big mess. Yes. Did not train her. She was inexperienced, had no training. She inherits this I don't know what the word is, a hodgepodge of a kingdom, yeah. of a dynasty, mm -hmm. and then she mm -hmm. rules for 40 years and becomes mm -hmm. a compelling historical figure. How does mm -hmm. that all play out? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is true. I think she's compelling for various reasons. She, she's a compelling figure. First, because of the very, very special circumstances of her uh, reign and of her 
coming to the throne and, and of her uh, inherited status, which was also very peculiar, very unique. Um, and second, also because of her personal uh, characteristics. I mean, she, if we believe in what uh, the eyewitnesses and her contemporaries say, must have been a very charming person, uh, extremely uh, meticulous in her work. She took her uh, this, this job of being uh, queen and, and empress queen over so many different territories. She took this extremely seriously, much more seriously than most of her um, male colleagues would do at the time. Um, and she was extremely religious person. So, uh, and she was convinced that God had given her a mandate uh, to reign and that if God had given her this mandate, he would also have given her uh, the abilities to fulfill this mandate. And that made her so extremely strong and, and um, yeah, convinced of being able to overcome all these, these, these extreme difficulties. And her main accomplishments over the 40 years, what areas was it? Foreign affairs, diplomacy? Yeah, I would say, I mean... <laughs> First of all, of course, the accomplishment uh, was that uh, she managed to, um, to, to, to prevent her, all her many enemies, to just distribute all parts of her reign, of her empire, to, uh, among each other. So uh, they, they, were, they really planned to destroy her uh, empire, so the Habsburg Empire, which is to distinguish from the Holy Roman German Empire. But the, the Habsburg Empire, which consisted of Hungary, Bohemia, Austria, and so on and so forth, um, and they had already planned to, um, to destroy it completely. And uh, so it was an extreme achievement to, um, to, uh, to prevent them from doing so. But in the end, um, I mean, um, her most important achievement, I would say, was that uh, she managed to, um, to push considerable reforms which uh, were necessary to make uh, Austria or yeah, parts of the Habsburg Empire a kind of more modern state. I mean, it is very... I'm a little bit reluctant to say that because uh, her, her legend uh, that was created in the 19th century would call her um, uh, mother of modern Austria or the, the, the nation and so on. And this is, of course, a, um, a, a story or a narrative from hindsight. But uh, I would say that it was an achievement to, to push these very uh, necessary uh, reforms against a lot of um, obstacles and against the very strong opposition of the nobility and so on. You, you, you mentioned that uh, we're in a period that's at the uh, beginning of the Enlightenment era, uh, in the Enlightenment area, and you just mentioned, of course, now that Maria Teresa was, was deeply religious, deeply religious. Um, so yeah. How did she interact with minorities in general and mm -hmm. with the Jewish community in particular? 
What was what was that relationship all about? <laughs> this, is a, this is a very strange story. Um, I mean, she. Uh, we have to um, make clear that in the early modern period, there was no such thing as uh, religious freedom as a basic civil or human right that didn't did not exist. So uh, we shouldn't measure her to the wrong standards, but. On the other hand, the 18th century was, as you know, the era when these ideas of religious tolerance uh, uh, developed and became very, uh, became viral in a way. And she was extremely opposed, op opposed these, these, um, these, this development. She was also uh, uh, dedicated enemy of enlightenment. She uh, was convinced that this would lead to chaos and uh, godlessness and so on. So um, although she had ministers, very influential ministers who were uh, strong adherents of enlightenment, but she did not know that. They were so, I would call them Trojan forces of the enlightenment at her court. And she acted in a way, in, in an enlightened way, but she didn't, she wasn't aware of so she, she opposed uh, herself to uh, especially French enlightenment and free thinking and everything. And especially the idea of religious tolerance uh, was, she was very hostile um, uh, to, to this idea. But on the other hand, there was a tradition of, um, um, of guaranteeing certain privileges to certain groups. So it, there were very different um, conditions in her different territories or provinces. For example, Protestants enjoyed certain um, religious rights in Hungary or uh, in Transylvania, whereas they did not enjoy any right to exist in Austria and the Austrian lands. Uh, so that shows that uh, religious, religious rights had the character of privileges, privileges for certain groups and in certain provinces at certain times. It was not kind of universal right as we uh, um, uh, consider it today to, to be. So um, this is um, a difference that we should keep in mind. But on the other hand, this was the general state of affairs. But um, there was this very strong movement of uh, religious tolerance, which she um, despised. <laughs> and her son, Joseph, was very much in favor of, of, of religious tolerance. And there were very severe conflicts between the two about, about uh, the question of tolerance. And um, very much so in uh, the question of Jewish, uh, Jewish rights, or there were no Jewish rights at all. There were very, very um, um, uh, uh, temporary and individual privileges for individual persons. And uh, this was the general situation. And then um, in, at, a special, at a certain uh, point of time, a certain point of time in, in 1744, in her very, very long and uh, um, bloody war of Austrian succession, um, she, expelled, uh, ex uh, she she prosecuted the Jews in Prague and Bohemia 
in a way that was absolutely not common in the 18th century. 